this is the kind of activity that creates time boundaries around something we enjoy doing anyway. It enhances the experience of doing that thing, uh, watching movies, and it um, it allows us to uh, to share in that joy. Welcome to Deviate with Rolf Potts, where I talk with experts, public figures, and interesting people about fascinating topics that meander off topic. Today is part of my season three debut week. Kevin Smokler comes back on the show to share a more engaged, less depressing strategy for watching movies during pandemic quarantine. Now, Kevin is the author of the book Brat Pack America, a love letter to 1980s teen movies. You might recall that he and I talked about classic teen movies for two hours in season one. Last season, we talked for two more hours about iconic travel movies. Today, Kevin and I talk about his strategy for creating a shelter-in-place film festival. Now, Kevin has organized real film festivals in real life, but the shelter-in-place festival is specifically designed to avoid binging and engage with movies in a healthy and stimulating way during the time of pandemic. Now, of all the ways we're dealing with quarantine right now, streaming hours and hours of movies on Netflix has become a reflexive way of killing time. But as Kevin points out, creating a shelter-in-place film festival is a way of reclaiming time and maintaining healthy habits. Kevin outlines his movie-watching strategies and themes category by category. I've also included a cheat sheet in the show notes at rolfpotts.com deviate. This is a good, practical-minded episode that starts with Kevin stating his case for why a shelter-in-place film festival is healthier and a lot more fun than just watching movies at random. Let's listen in. Well, Kevin, you're my go-to movie guy. We've talked about uh, teen movies in season one. We talked about uh, different movies in a couple episodes this season, including travel movies. And then when this pandemic was was kicking in a few weeks ago, you emailed me and said, hey, let's let's talk about doing a shelter-in-place film festival. Uh, what made you think of it, and why? what made you email me about that? Uh, first of all, thanks for having me back, Rolf. I really I like your show, and I, and I, I always like talking to you about this kind of thing. Um, I had I have planned festivals, film festivals for friends on a couple of occasions, and they've always been with the sort of luxurious surfeit of time. You know, they're they're in they're in the summer, or they're over Christmas break, or they're or they're over a July 4th weekend or something like that, where time just seems to stretch out endlessly before you. And what better way to burn 24 hours of it than watching six or seven you know, theme thematically tied movies in a row. Um, we're in a we're in a less positive version of that right now, where we're all sort of stuck. And I'm I'm not going to be so presumptuous to assume that we all have unlimited amounts of free time because we don't. Um, people got to work their jobs. Some people got to go. Some people got to go out in the world and make it safer for the rest of us. Um, but if you are looking for a different way to spend this time when you can't uh, uh, leave your dwelling. The idea of watching a bunch of movies uh, that are somehow tied together uh, in a way that makes their relationship with one another almost as interesting as the movies themselves, uh, that also accomplishes, you know, maybe maybe taking a bunch of movies you've meant to see uh, off your list and spending time uh, either physically or virtually with people whose company you enjoy. Uh, this is this is what a film festival is for. It's it, it it may feel luxurious because seeing six or seven movies in a row, unless you're a film critic, feels like feels like a a leisurely activity. Um, but in fact, um, it, a film festival is by nature a, t- a time bound activity. Um, you're choosing to see a certain number of movies, and a festival is a thing that ha- that begins and ends, and and often you know in 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 non COVID life, a festival, when it is over, you may never see those movies again. So time is of the essence when talking about a film festival. And this feels like, uh, ironically, a moment where time both seems endless and of the essence at once. Well, I think that's a key consideration here because, correct me if I'm wrong, but it feels like this could be sort of a way to preempt binge watching that eventually leads to depression. <laughs> and <laughs> and and I actually wrote down on my notes, I wrote it down by accident, but I like the phrase that says extraordinary times amplify bad habits. And I think that we, you know, at home, we get in the habit of like, 
we're bored or not feeling very good about ourselves. So we watched like three movies in a row. We watched a whole season of like Stranger Things at once on Netflix, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's it's a bad habit that in an extraordinary time can only get worse, right? And so creating the structure of a film festival is a way to bring sort of happiness and purpose back into watching movies at home. Am Am I sort of getting it right here? Absolutely. Uh, when I have talked about this idea with people, and, and to be fair, most of the film festivals I've put together were before the age of streaming. Um, but when I talk about it with people now, they all say they, – they frequently ask, how is a film festival different than binge-watching? Uh, and the idea is that binge-watching is meant to sort of uh, to sort of lose yourself or cease to exist. Uh, it is meant to make time disappear. Uh, and, and a well put together film festival, even if it's only well put together by you for you is designed to be cognizant of time. It's designed to be time well spent. Um, and it's designed for each part of it to connect together, uh, by some more consequential means than simply pressing the next episode button. (laughs) Well, I like the idea of of time. You know, I've even done entire episodes of this podcast about the philosophical idea of time, and and I think that's important that, that we could kill time by binge watching, just hitting the the next episode button on Netflix. But in a way, this is a, this is a way of reclaiming our time during quarantine, but through entertaining our, ourselves uh, with a little bit of purpose, a little bit of design, and a little bit of engagement. And I know that you sent me an outline for this film festival that has several points, and let's just walk our way through how to design your own shelter-in-place film festival. Sound good? Sounds great. Thanks, man. All right. So the first bit on your list is the importance of a time constraint. Uh, tell us about that. Uh it, it, it is important to decide if you are going to put together a film festival, it's important to accept that a film festival is a time-bound activity and to be rigorously honest with yourself and your fellows uh, about how long you're going to spend doing this. Are you going to spend an afternoon? Are you going to spend a whole day, a weekend, a week, a month? It could be any of those things. But you need to decide that before you start picking movies. And that may seem counterintuitive. Um, but you can always, you can always add time to a festival, presuming, you know, it doesn't force everybody to play hooky. You can't say, okay, we're going to watch 10 movies and then, and then realize by movie three that everybody's secretly, uh, signed up to do something else. You're just setting yourself up for frustration if you do that. So deciding ahead of time, how much time you're going to devote to this activity, um, really uh, not only manages expectations, but it, it allows the experience of watching movies to feel complete and purposeful. Is there a suggested maximum or minimum here? I mean, it's probably not a film festival if you only watch one movie, but it's probably not containable if it stretches across the course of three months. So is there is there a sweet spot you would speculate on? I generally feel like a weekend is a good sweet spot. Um, and, and that doesn't mean you, you, you know, you watch until you drop on, on Saturday and then, and then, you know, crawl out of bed bleary eyed on Sunday and then repeat. Um, but I find a weekend you can do like three movies a day and that's, uh, you know, morning, afternoon and early evening. And that's, and that's a good six movies. Like that's a good size film festival with time for meals and time to, uh, discuss what you just saw with, with everybody else participating in between. I think, I mean, four movies is a good size, you know, two per day on a, on a weekend, um, I think you have to be rigorously honest with uh, with your own endurance and that of anybody else who is participating. Um, this is not, you know, this is this is not a, a fifth grade sleepover where you're daring each other to stay up late. This is uh, this is an activity that is supposed to be pleasurable and rewarding for all, not just the person who puts it together. Well, I'm glad you brought up anybody else because that goes right into the next category, which is basically guests, like how mm. how social this is going to be now. Film festivals obviously have multiple films running at once. They have large audiences. They have um, breakout sessions sometimes with the filmmakers themselves. But in a way, you're sort of curating your own audience, maybe in person, but probably also like virtually, people who are on the other side of town or the other side of the world. So how would you uh, suggest approaching a shelter-in-place film festival in terms of who to invite? Yeah, you have to start by making the either or decision. Is this just for me, just for the people I live with, or am I going to share this with somebody else? Hmm. If it's just for the people you live with, 
um, except that uh, there will be things that one participant enjoys more than the other things in another person's wheelhouse. Um, trying to find movies that will please everybody really narrows the the excitement and daring of the kinds of things you can see at a film festival. I, I, I'm not suggesting you should you should have an an all Korean horror film festival and invite your toddlers to it. Um, <laughs> but if your toddlers are running around, plan on there being you don't have to have every movie be be toddler friendly either. Um, some movies everybody can participate in some movies, people will wander in and out. Um, nobody is, you know, this is not, this is not the SATs. Nobody's obligated to sit there the whole time. Um, so, uh, having, having movies that, that suit different kinds of people and just making your guests aware of that ahead of time is, is, is really important. Now, if you're doing this with other people, um, I have found sticking to a schedule is even more important with other people uh, virtually or in person virtually. Okay. If you're going to say, if you're going to say with your best friend, Hey, let's watch a bunch of movies this weekend. Um, you at least want to start the movies at the same time. Um, so you can, so you can discuss them afterwards or else, or, or else, I mean, I suppose you could do it where you you say on Friday, hey, let's watch four movies this weekend and we'll reconvene on Monday night and discuss them. You can do them that way, too. I really feel like if you're participating in an activity together, though, and not just, you know, experiencing something in parallel and then and then reconvening afterwards and seeing how it was like for each of you. Um if you're going to experience something together, you it is more important if the person is not there in 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 the house or dwelling with you to to stick to a schedule uh, and to say at ten at ten a.m. we're going to begin this and at two p.m. we're going to begin that and then we will uh, we will plan on uh, texting each other and saying hey let's meet on Zoom or Skype and discuss what we just saw. Now speaking of Zoom, when we were discussing this before recording, you suggested that maybe. Zooming in real time is a bad way to do this, that maybe you should watch it self-contained but discuss it after. What's the, what's the argument there? I, I find it is, it is mostly, what you're, mostly what you're looking at if the other person is on Zoom is, is them staring, in, is them a glow in the flicker of a screen. It's not that interesting. And um, there's a real problem with sound bleed. Like if you want everybody, if you want everybody to watch the movie wearing earphones, that's one thing. Um, or if you want everybody to be on mute, that's another thing, but there's not much purpose in being on zoom at the same time if you can't hear each other, but if you can hear each other, the sound from the film is probably going to bleed over, um, and be distracting. Uh, so I, I think it's one of those ideas that might seem like it cements the bond you have with the other people, participating in your festival, but it's, it's, it's less reward. It's more trouble than reward. Now it just occurred to me, I was thinking, Oh, well, maybe you could text, but I was thinking like, if you're watching a movie, like for the first time, like the crying game, it has a big reveal in it. And one person is two minutes ahead of the other person. It could mess up the texting experience. So would you suggest just saving the discussion for afterwards? Yeah, I, I would. I, I would I let everybody have a complete experience with the film. I, I mean, it's a little bit easier if it's just you and one other person. And and part of the game is that part of the the fun is that you're doing it together, like absolutely together, like minute by minute together. Um, if you're going to do that, you probably want to choose. You probably want to have a festival based around movies that are are favorites of the two of you. You know, shared experiences you've had in the past probably going to be a lot of rewatching. Um, uh, you can, you can, you know, you can sync yourself up with the other person. It's just, it's complicated and the, and the rewards are not so great. Gotcha. Now, um, how does the choosing, how democratic is the movie choosing pro process? I mean, is this, if you have five people that want to watch movies, should it be fully democratic or should you appoint a benevolent dictator to, to make these decisions and do all the organization? <laughs> I'm no fan of dictatorships, benevolent or otherwise, but I got to say, like, I, I, in, in this case, I, I, for this particular activity, I fall back on that Oscar Wilde quote, democracy is great, but it takes up a lot of weeknights. It's, um, it's, uh, it, it, it will slow things down and, uh, and it has the potential to create friction and discord, um, with, 
you know, with uh, uh, people feeling like their movies are not getting voted for or their perspective, their voice is not being heard. Um, I find if you trust, it is generally better to trust the person who's in charge. Um, and for the person in charge to accept that, to take that responsibility seriously and put together a slate of movies that is not, that are not only interesting on their own, but that are thematically interesting by how they're tied together. And, and this is the most important thing, um, a, a film festival, if you're choosing that way of putting the, your festival together, uh, being the leader who is going to choose the movies is not an opportunity to demonstrate what a genius you are. Huh. You are you are essentially preparing a weekend afternoon period of of entertainment for other people. So treat it much more like planning a party than um, than than delivering a dissertation. Um, the uh, because because. When you are the leader, it's great when everybody has a great time. And if it's clear you're not listening or caring about the other people's fun, uh, they will rightly blame you for it. Yeah, this flows right into some, one thing I was going to observe that if you that if you are the benevolent dictator, you know that you should not be a dick about it, <laughs> and then, yeah. and that if you're watching movies chosen by the, the benevolent di- dictator, you should also not be a dick about it. But I think the if, if the benevolent dictator is properly benevolent, it, it it solves both problems, right? That if you keep in mind what's happening, it does, it does, and and I think I think if you try the benevolent dictator model and everybody has a great time. You can pass the conch and have someone else hmm. be the benevolent dictator and try it again, or you can give the democratic model a try. Um, structurally, that's different, and it requires more planning ahead of time uh, because you need to pull a list of movies together and you need to have people vote on them, and then you need to have the program arranged in some way where uh, where you know. Every day doesn't begin with a with a, a four and a half hour David Lean inve- adventure that 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 exhausts everybody before the before the the, the day of movie watching is complete. Um, one, it, it's more efficient for one person to do that. Um, so I suggest trying the the benevolent dictator model, choosing your benevolent dictator carefully, as I, ironic as that sounds, and. Um, and uh, and if if it if it goes smashingly, uh, maybe trying something different the second time. Yeah. Well, one one other consideration when it comes to the social aspect of this is the discussion itself, and this might be a duty that falls in the wheelhouse of the benevolent dictator, which is how exactly do you discuss the movie afterwards, and how organized is it? Is it do you just get, take your popcorn and talk about what you saw, or is there someone? Is there are there templates for how to best discuss the movies that you saw? Uh, after after sitting through more than seven hundred bad book club discussions in my life, um, I, I have the one thing I have learned is you never begin a discussion with "What did you think of that?" Hmm. Um, because you can't go anywhere from there, or you can, but you can only go somewhere if your group of people is used to you know knocking the conversational volleyball around. Um, if they're not, if it's a group of people that that don't participate in those kind of conversations regularly, everybody will deliver their opinion as asked, and that will be the end of the conversation. And it's not that rewarding, actually, um, because it's something you would do anyway. Um, I have found that uh, if the benevolent dictator wants to be in charge of the conversation, that's great. They should not begin with "What did you think?" They, uh, I often find that if you make a if you make a seemingly innocuous comment. It will get people going. Hmm. Hell of a score, eh? Um, hmm. And then, and then it'll get people rolling, and then you just let you let the conversation uh, go from there. It's putting a lot on your shoulders to choose the movies and to also lead the conversation afterwards. So, if there is a member of your group who is particularly good at facilitating or at keeping a conversation rolling, or maybe they're a, a, a legal arbiter in their <laughs> in their day in their professional life. Uh, assign someone to do that. One more thing before we go into the themes that we can choose from for these festivals. And in a sense, the themes will sort of help structure discussion afterwards because certain themes lend to certain discussions. But one quick question, is this something you can do alone or is it really better to do it with other people? 
I think you can do it alone. And, um, and, and maybe it's just, you know, and you can use it, you know, like, I don't know, movie community college or something where you, um, where you decide that, oh, I'd really, or a movie, you know, a movie weekend course. Oh, I'd really like to, I, I'd really like to bone up on Alison Anders movies. Well, okay. There's a half dozen of those. I'll sit down. I'll make a weekend out of it. That's cool. Um, and, uh, and how you, and, and then what you do with it afterwards is entirely dependent on how you process knowledge and new information. You know, do you take notes? Do you write something about it? Do you want to talk about it with someone? Do you just want to sort of swallow and pat your belly and say, that was nice. I mean, whatever, whatever works, whatever works for you and your relationship with, with new information and culture. Uh, but yeah, I, I absolutely think you can, you can do it on your own. Uh, It's a slightly, maybe I wouldn't give it the name festival. Maybe I'd give it the name crash course. Um, but if, you know, uh, uh, romantic comedies from 1959, just make your heart sing and you want to see the six in one weekend you've never seen before. Oh, that sounds pretty damn festive to me. Well, I just thought of something that actually, if somebody wants to do a solo festival but yet they want to have some deliverables. They can tweet about it and tag you and me. Uh, you can find our Twitter <laughs> in, in the show notes. And then um, regardless of how much time we have to comment, then at least you're you're putting it out there. You're proving that you're doing this festival and you're being accountable to at least the social media realm, if not to the rest of the people in your film group because you're doing it solo. Now, Absolutely. Yeah, you mentioned um, you mentioned 1959 movies, which, which sort of flows right into the next category, which is themes around which you can organize a, a film festival and you know who knows there's probably a million themes but you you mentioned what five one two three four, yeah you mentioned five themes vertical fest horizontal fest spring cleaning fest hall of fame fest and hub and spoke festival so let's just go through i think they're all good and actually have ideas for all of them and so let's just go through and sort of talk about how these might be organized so tell me what a vertical fest is uh, a vertical festival is usually centered around the filmography of a certain person. So all of all of one actor's movies before they turned forty, or all of a director's films, or all of the the best love films scored by a a, a certain composer. Um, they are they're they're largely filmed journeys through an IMDb entry. Um, and and that's why they're that's why they get the name vertical. Uh, the, the purpose of of a, of a vertical festival is to is to notice uh, not only things those movies have in common. This is particularly true with directors because all directors have their trademarks, but also also how how actors or or how artists evolve over time. The, the kind of role huh. an actor or the kind of work a, a composer or a cinematographer does early in their career is going to be very different than the kind they do later in their career. If they have a long career, if they don't, they're probably not the subject of a vertical film festival. Um, so, yeah, the purpose of this festival is to notice what the movies you select have in common and also uh, how they change over time. Uh, given the nature of it, these kind of festivals are usually best to organize chronologically. Hmm. Um but it, that doesn't have to be the case, you know. Particularly if you're talking about sort of the greatest hits of a person's career, uh, you may want to start with the movie or the role or that they're best known for, hmm. and then go a little deeper into the things they're lesser known for, and then uh, maybe you know 60% of the way show their first film, and then you end with a real banger too. It's it's like putting a mixtape together. Yeah, well, when you first pitched this uh, outline to me, I was thinking, oh, Vertical Festival, I should do Werner Herzog, because actually my brother-in-law and now my nephews were sort of obsessed with the film Grizzly Man, which my Mm brother-in-law and I saw when it first came out. And so we're sort of piecemeal filling in other pieces of the Werner Herzog puzzle, and it's really fascinating. And I think it would make a great vertical festival. But the problem with Werner Herzog is that's like 50 movies. Like you could, if you tried to watch his entire career, it wouldn't work too well. So if you're, if you're, um, obviously we would probably start the festival by watching Grizzly, Grizzly Man together for the 10th time. But how how do we choose the other movies among all the movies that Werner Herzog has made? So it definitely narrows things down a bit if you say, okay, only Werner Herzog documentaries. Maybe you start there. Hmm. Um, and then from there, um, 
and then from there you could do Werner Herzog documentaries of a certain period in time, you know, maybe between 80 and 90 with, uh, with, uh, burden of dreams stuck right in the middle there. Um, or you, uh, or you choose thematically, uh, and, and you have to get this specific with someone who has a ginormous filmography like Werner Herzog. Maybe you say, uh, Werner Herzog documentaries about animals or about obsession or about um, remote places in the world. Um, those seem to be the things that Werner Herzog is is most interested in. It's a little bit like organizing records. Um, you know, you've got you, you've got different organizational with someone who has a giant filmography. You might have to have two or three different organizational systems at work at once. Uh, you can say we want to focus on this director. But you might also have to you might have to apply a, a narrower lens than that and say we only want to focus on this director's movies in America or this director's documentaries or um, or movies at this point in their career. Um, just like with the records, you want to say, OK, chronological by artists, but chrono uh, chronolo- or alphabetical by artists, but chronologically within artists. That's how I do it. We'll have to talk to my brother-in-law and nephews, but if we do Werner Herzog, they'll probably want to watch movies where Werner Herzog talks because they love listening to him talk. To me, there is no such thing as a secret world of the bears. And this blank stare speaks only of a half-bored interest in food. But for Timothy Treadwell, this bear was a friend, a savior. There's a good opportunity if you are familiar, if you are well-versed in the work of whoever's movies you're looking at to be kind of cheeky about it. Like I would, I would totally sit down for a Werner Herzog festival where it's like, okay, in every movie, every movie in this festival, at some point, Werner Herzog narrating is going to say, and we must ask ourselves. Um, uh, and then everybody has to drink when he, uh, when he does right. that. Uh, right. That's good. That's good. I, I like it. Yeah. And, and that it feels like that's definitely on my short list of, of festivals that I'll probably do during this quarantine. Um, what about horizontal fest? What, what uh, differentiates that from a vertical fest? Uh, a horizontal fest is kind of a riff on, um, on one of the, uh, benefits of a vertical festival, which is, uh, which, er, which is, it is organized around something non-people related, but a commonality that, uh, that movies have and horizontal festivals. The commonality is usually kind of artificial and the fun is seeing what movies all fall under this banner. Uh, even if the movies don't feel like they belong, they, they ever belong in the same room together. So this can be movies that have the same word in their title or movies that all take place in the same location or movies um, that are all exactly 93 minutes long or um, or movies that have, you know, uh, the name of one of the four seasons in the titles or something like that. Um, The idea is that the art the the fun comes from the artificiality of the 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 thing that ties them all together. Um, and seeing how many different ways, uh, how many different kinds of movies fall under that awning. It's a little bit like jazz. It's like there's, it's like there's one, there's one tune, but everybody's riffing on it differently. Uh, the first festival I ever put together was in fact a horizontal festival. Um, and it was an, I, a crazy idea I had with my best friend the year after we graduated from college and, uh, and we, all we had was a theme. Um, and it took us a while to come up with the theme, but he said, oh, we should have a film festival about what? And I think he said, we should do a festival about movies that all take place in a single day. Um, and we were both like, man, there's a lot of possibility there. So late one night we took ourselves to a Denny's and, uh, over, you know, nursing a bowl of curly fries for about two hours, we came up with, we went, we had a legal pad and we came up with a, a list of 70 movies that all take place on a single day. Wow. Um, and then we narrowed it down to 12 for, for the course of a weekend. Um, and, uh, and, you know, and there, and, 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 you know, there's some, some interesting permutation on that, you know, concert films usually take place in a day, uh, up comedy movie, you know, take place in a day. Um, so it was, it was pretty fascinating. Um, and then, you know, a movie like high noon, not only takes place in a day, but takes place in real time. So, uh, 
So yeah, we had a we had a great time with that version of a horizontal festival. What occurs to me that two suggestions for listeners could actually be horizontal festivals built around podcasts involving you and myself, Kevin, that uh, episode 33 of Deviate, Deviate is where we talk about coming of age movies and episode yeah. six, 60 is where we talk about travel movies. And really, actually, if anybody listening decides to do their their um, shelter in place film fest or about kind of in of age movies or about travel movies, you could actually use those podcasts to sort of as sort of research for the discussion afterwards and actually let us know if that happens. Um, now, keeping in mind that we talked about a lot of movies in coming of age and travel, is there a way to be a little bit more nuanced than just coming of age or just travel and having a horizontal festival? Uh, the the horizontal festival lends itself better than any of the others to a certain kind of democracy um, because you can enlist the entire group to pull a list together and you can vote on it. Um, it, it requires more upfront work because because the, the 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 list of potential movies is potentially very big uh, and is really only as small as your imagination unless the category you apply to them is is ridiculously specific. Um, it, uh, if you are going to, um, if you are going to go with the benevolent dictator model, a horror and, and put together a horizontal festival, you still need to, um, you still need to do a little bit more upfront work and it would probably benefit you to say, to announce the theme a week beforehand and ask if people have any suggestions or say, do you have any suggestions or would you just like me to pick something based hmm. on this theme? Hmm. That's a good idea. And, and again, hmm. for listeners, we'll, we'll, um, in the show notes, we'll put this outline so that you can have all these categories at your fingertips if you want to try and decide between them. The next category uh, after horizontal is actually the spring cleaning festival. What does that portend? The Spring Cleaning Festival is a conscious attempt to see movies that have languished on your languished on your to be watched queue. It is a product of the of, of the Netflix slash streaming age. Um, yes, there are some people like me who used to write out long lists of movies they wanted to see on legal pads. That is not many of us, and, and but now there is sort of an institutionalized way to have your movie to do list somewhere. Um, a spring cleaning festival is usually best for people who uh, know each other um, or maybe people who all had a hand in putting that to-do list together. Otherwise, it's pretty hard to rationalize, you know, why are we watching movies that are simply on one person's queue? That's not a good reason for all of us to be here watching those movies. Um, so generally, a spring cleaning festival is best done um, not with friends. Um with just your uh, immediate family or by yourself. The organization has kind of happened before for you already. Um, you pick the top four to six movies in your queue, and off you go. Huh. I'll have to go into my queue and see what happens. Although when you first sent me this outline, when I thought spring cleaning, ooh, the Goonies. My friend Carla and I had this conversation five years ago about how you know, people of our generation talk about The Goonies. It's a movie they saw when they were 12, but neither of us saw it when we were 12, and we still haven't seen it. And so hmm. sort of a part of our friendship has been, yeah, one of these days we're going to watch The Goonies, and we just haven't. And so she and I have actually talked about doing some sort of virtual watching of The Goonies, which we can do, but is there a way that we can take one common movie that two people haven't seen and build a festival around it? Um, would it maybe be easier to, to take a horizontal or a vertical direction around the Goonies, or should we try to find other spring cleaning movies to make a festival with? There's an interesting spring cleaning approach to exactly what you're talking about here, which is you and Carla each prepare a list of 10 movies you've always meant to see and you feel like the rest of the world has seen and you haven't. Um, and then you say all right, let's pick two from your list, two from my list, and then two that, that we both haven't seen and have always meant to. Um, and that has, that, that is spiritually, that, that is probably organizationally a horizontal festival, but spiritually a spring cleaning festival. Uh, these categories are, are meant to, uh, make it easier to, uh, choose a path and put a festival together based on that rather than just, rather than just, you know, um, uh, throwing, throwing darts at a board and picking movies that way. Um, but choosing one that has elements of the other, you know, nobody gets, nobody gets demerits or 
revoked hall passes because of that. Yeah, that makes sense. And if anybody else has not not seen the Goonies, email me at deviatedrollspots.com. Maybe we could do some sort of Goonies fest. But at the very least, Carl and I are going to watch that and maybe build a festival around it. Um, I love it. You, uh, the fourth category feels like it maybe has some things in common with the Horizontal Fest. It's the the Hall of Fame Festival. Uh, how does that work? Uh, the Hall of Fame Festival is usually a conscious attempt to see the best of something. Now, that can feel like the Vertical Festival, the best movies by a certain actor or a certain director. Uh, it can also seem like a, a, a horizontal festival, i.e. applying a random category to a series of movies. But the word best kind of gives it more definition, a hard definition than a horizontal festival. Um and it's really the Hall of Fame Festival is the most conscious attempt at at, at a kind of education. Um, I love romantic comedies, so I want to see the best romantic comedies across time. Uh, I was serving in the military in 2002 and didn't see anything, so I want to see the best movies from 2002, something like that. Um, it's both an attempt. It's a very conscious attempt to not only fill in a hole but also give yourself a kind of freshman year education about, um, about a certain category or a certain performer or something like, uh, uh, uh something like that. Um, well, it feels like this is something that might really lend itself to a fun post watching debate, because for example, if, if you decided to watch the best travel movies and, and each person in your five person group nominated one travel movie, then um, possibly you could debate the, the merits or, or disadvantages of each one, or is that would that be rude to the person who who picked uh, Eurotrip and everybody doesn't like Eurotrip? You know, I, I think if the, if you're doing a Hall of Fame festival and and you're going on the benevolent dictator model, the benevolent dictator is going to have to assume that people are going to disagree with his or her choices, and should in fact invite and welcome that when putting the festival together. Uh, we are putting a festival together under the following best category, uh, best English movies of 2012. Okay. Says who? Says you, benevolent dictator, for this particular setup. Um, but we may not agree. And we certainly may not agree after after being, you know, four movies and, and six iced coffees to the wind. Um, so if that's the case um, – assume that this kind of festival will inspire debate and discussion. And I would say of all the festivals, debate and discussion is most necessary in the Hall of Fame festival, mm. uh, simply because the category you're grouping everything around is, is by definition, a subjective one. Okay. Well, the last category we have is Hub and Spoke, which sort of the way you described it to me sounds the most film festival-ish because it involves not just watching straight up movies. How would you describe the the Hub and Spoke festival uh, the hub and spoke festival begins with a a movie at the center the hub and it's probably a movie everybody's familiar with or at least has been meaning to watch uh it, it helps if your hub movie if everybody's kind of on the same page with with your hub movie uh because the hub and spoke festival doesn't really work if you pick say black panther and one person's seen it 20 times and one person's never seen it and one person doesn't even know what black panther is um you generally want everybody on the same page for the movie at the hub. And then what you're doing is going in a bunch of different directions from the hub. So if it's Black Panther, maybe before that you're seeing Fruitvale Station. Or after that you're seeing Fruitvale Station, which is another movie with Michael B. Jordan and another movie directed by Ryan Coogler. And then maybe from that you're seeing uh, uh, two episodes of cartoons that were based on uh, Stan Lee characters. And then maybe from that you're seeing, um, you're seeing a documentary about African American cinema. And then maybe from there you're seeing, uh, uh, other movies where the costumes were designed by Ruthie Carter. Um, you're basically riffing on the wealth of the movie at the center of your festival. And so the theme is going to be, uh, the, you're going to keep coming back to the movie at the center. So it's got to be, it's got to be a movie that, that has a lot of riches. Uh, if it's a movie that everybody feels a little lukewarm about, you're, you're going to feel like you're really wasting your time to see all of these, these, uh, uh, supplementary material about it. Um, 
the hub and spoke festival really lends itself well to the benevolent dictator model um, because there's so many different directions you can go from the hub that that the that the conversation about which directions to go if you choose a democratic model will, will, could potentially be endless. Um, so, uh, and the hub and sp- and the hub and spoke. The fun part about the hub and spoke is what are the connections between them. Uh, I have a group of friends that I play a a music game with called uh, DJ Daisy Chain. Uh, and the idea is that you sit a bunch of people in the room and someone puts a song on the stereo and everybody's like, oh, great. And then someone else puts the next song on the stereo. And the idea is that everybody has to guess what those two songs have in common. Hmm. Um, and sometimes it's easy. Sometimes it's just another song by the same artist or it's another song with the same title or something like that. And sometimes it's it's super interesting and esoteric. And that's the fun of the game. Um, Hub and Spoke festivals are kind of that sort of thing. Uh, why are we choosing these spokes? Um, and each spoke is evidence of how much cool shit was in the movie. That's the hub. Yeah, it feels like I've I accidentally had a, a personal hub and spoke festival a couple months ago because I had planned on taking my my nephew to Italy and Switzerland after he graduates from high school. We were going to take a lot of trains around simply because I never got the chance to do it when I was 18 years old. And I thought, who a great train movie is before sunrise. So I watched Before Sunrise and then I decided I wanted to watch Before Sunset and Before Midnight and then I ended up watching like 10 YouTube videos about it and mm-hmm. some interviews with Kim Krizan who's who's who, who co-wrote it and just it, it feels like this lends itself maybe for the benevolent dictator to obsessives where basically you're trying to put together the world of one movie and you end up uh you know spoking out into a lot of other things that connect it. Was that an accidental yeah. hub and spoke or was that something else that I did by myself? No, I think that's very much an accidental hub and spoke. And then you have – it does lend itself to not only obsessives but people who uh, put their heads down but also spread their arms out um, because like a great spoke in a movie where Before Sunrise is at the, is at the center is The Third Man um, mm-hmm. because what is the other best movie set in Vienna? Um or, uh, you know, or Slacker um, to show where Richard Linklater came from or uh, another another great movie, you know, another like um, is, isn't tape another. Mo- oh, tape is a Richard Linklater movie. What am I saying? And um, but it, but that's a completely different, I think, uh, uh, Ethan Hawke. It's a completely different Ethan Hawke performance. I'm wondering if it, I, I'm trying to remember if Julie Delpy's in that movie. But um, well, actually, but there's a lot of. Linklater made a movie yeah. before Slacker called You Can't Learn How to Plow by Reading Books um, that I think is available on YouTube. I didn't watch it during this Hub and Spoke, but it just occurs to me that if you really want to go down the rabbit hole you know, from mm-hmm. uh, Before Sunrise, the Hub and Spoke it could last a year if you're doing it by yourself. You know, if, you're not, you know, you don't, if you don't have anybody else to alienate, you could actually really, really take this and run. And, you know, it's funny. I'd, I'm actually, I'd love to get Kim Krizan on my podcast now because I'm just curious to know about what precisely happened to her during her train trip through Europe, you know, that led to this iconic movie. So. Yeah. Yeah. You, you have to be, the, the thing about a hub and spoke festival as the leader is you have to be able to make a convincing argument for why um, the spokes exist. Uh, you can't, I, 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 I'm sorry. It, you'll probably, it, you could say it's cute, but you can't just pick another movie with the word before in the title um, if before sunrise is your hub, because that's not a spoke. That's a that's a that's that's a that's that's a lazy spoke, if anything. It's a broken spoke. Um, the uh, uh, but if you picked the lady vanishes and you said here is or or it happened one night and you're like, here is the second best movie that where a train is 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 an important character in the movie, I'd be like, Good on you, man. Like, like who would put together the lady vanishes and before sunrise? Um, that's interesting. Well, we've, uh, we've covered a lot of great ground here and and it feels like the last categories, we can just sort of fill in the blanks of what we haven't talked about already. So the, the last, uh, few, the second last categories are how to choose the movies, how to choose the medium through which to watch the movies and how to schedule them. So is Mm -hmm. there anything that you, any more tips on those three categories that we haven't touched on already? Yeah, the 
the one place, unless you want your shelter-in-place film festival to be elaborately catered or something, the one place you might have to spend some money is is an acquisition of your chosen films for your festival. It, it is really not smart to assume that every movie you want for your festival is going to be available on a streaming service. Um, streaming services are notorious for removing movies from their service without telling anybody, uh, and what's there on Thursday might not be there on Sunday. Um, so you are really better off downloading them from iTunes or some similar digital hard copy or acquiring them on DVD. Um, it doesn't mean you have to keep them. It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean you have to live in, you know, 1998 or something like that. It just means, it just means you are, you are really wasting everybody's time, um, finding where a movie is and having it having to look for where a movie is out in the world and it not being there uh, after you've promised every after you've promised it to everybody is say the first or second or third movie of your festival so find everything well in advance and make sure it's not going anywhere um well actually and one and thing th- i think too is that is don't be cheap um, and yeah. this, this goes back to the Goonies with, with my friend Carla. I was, <laughs> I was talking to her, but I said, oh, the Goonies is on Amazon Prime. We should watch it. And we were talking and talking. And then I looked again and I said, oh, man, it's off Amazon Prime. And, and you know, I wonder if there's some, some other sort of pirate service. And she's like, dude, it's like 3 or $5. Let's just rent it and yeah. watch it, right? So don't be cheap. That, that Actually, all things considered, we're not spending a lot of money right now. And um, – and spending three or four or five dollars on streaming a movie is not going to be that complicated. No, and I'm not. I'm not blaming young people for this, but I'm. I'm telling you, like, like one of the negative, one of the drawbacks of net of streaming is that it's created this idea in our mind that movies are supposed to be free, that we're just supposed to press the play button and there they are. Um, and someone is always paying for it. Even you, like, like you can't, you can't stream movies for free on Netflix unless you're a member of Netflix and same with Amazon prime. Like the feeling that it's free is not the reality that it's free. So just because, you know, you may have to rent it for 24 hours for three ninety nine, like you're getting off easy than paying for a month of Hulu, which is like 15 bucks or something. Yeah. Good. Um, any other, there's one final thing I want to touch on. Um, which is what to do the next day. And this feels key that um, maybe the film festival is not going to be as special if it just leads to more binging. So what is your plan for the post-film festival activity? Well, yeah, let me back up just a second here because I think this this there's one sort of scheduling issue we want to make sure we cover. Okay. Um, it's important to begin a festival with a real banger, like like something that really grabs everybody's attention and probably something short. You don't want to begin with a three and a half hour movie because then everybody's just going to look down the runway at the other four or five movies you're going to watch and give up before you even start. Um, and you want to end, you probably want to end on uplift. Um, if you end with a horribly depressing movie, it casts a shadow over everything you did for that film festival, whether or not you intended it that way. Um, you probably want to end on something that makes people feel good, not only about that movie, but by extension, the way they spent their time participating in your film festival. Um, if you've done that, uh, the very next day, even if people, it's likely people will be chit-chatting and and expressing uh, 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 joy about the great time they had at your film festival, and you should absolutely drink that all in. But I would not try and like. And if you want to schedule another film festival for a month from now, that's a great idea too. But I would not try and ride too heavy on that momentum. Do not like, like if you have a Saturday and Sunday film festival, do not plan on watching a bunch of movies on Monday or maybe not even until the following weekend. Um, because then you are, you are muddying uh, the experience of the film festival with the experience after the film festival, and you are turning what is a memorable activity into a mostly forgettable activity. And, and what's the point of that? Like, like nobody, nobody goes to a film festival uh, to see a bunch of things and then be like, what did I do this weekend? Like, um, it's special. It should be special. Um, and... Uh, I, I mean, I guess it depends to some degree on how your mind works, but I was one of those people that like, if you go to a concert, you do not play the band's music on the ride home. 
Hmm. Um, because it, it, it blurs what you saw at the concert, the, the experience, the experience is supposed to be singular. That's why you bought a ticket and paid $40 for parking for it. And, um, so I, I think that I just think that's, I, I think it's really important for the experience to kind of stand on its own. Um, if it inspires you to, um, see more movies in a certain category, great. Spend two or three days digesting, thinking, making lists, um, you know, or do, or, and, and doing something else, you know, calling people, going on hikes, reading books, uh, riding your bike, you know, just something that feels very different than sitting in front of a screen. So, uh, the experience can have a beginning, middle and end and feel special. Like it's sort of contained in a jewel box rather than spilling all over the floor. Yeah. I like the idea of that. Even like going for a hike, you know, if you've watched, if you spend a weekend spending six hours watching movies, or 12 hours watching movies, then invest that much in, 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 in walking, you know, or in, mm-hmm. in playing games the next week just to let those movies digest. So absolutely. Just sort of as a final note, um, we've given people a lot of information and hopefully we've, we've inspired them to be a little bit more structured and, and more meaningful and organized and social in the way they watch movies during this strange quarantine time. So what's sort of the encapsulated argument for why, organizing your own shelter in place film festival, um, can enhance a day-to-day experience right now. I think there is something about creating organization around things we like to do that really gets at not only the, the sort of sugary sweet pleasures of doing those things, but also like the, the nutritional value of doing those things. Um, you know, you may think that just reading romance novels is nothing more than an indulgent activity you do to please yourself. That's fine. But you are learning something. You're learning something about the world's most popular genre of literature. You're learning something about love. You're learning something about storytelling. And um, unless it's turning you into a raving lunatic, it is probably making you a better person. Um, You are learning something about the human condition. And I think that's great. And I think we have a tendency to feel like, to, to sort of stomp too heavily on the pop in pop culture, as if it's pop, as in poof, and then it's gone. And we're not supposed to, we're not supposed to think too much about it beyond that. It's supposed to kill time. Well, we got a lot of time to kill right now. Or at least it, if we don't, it sure feels like it because time has, has very, has very porous hard to define borders right now. Um, This is a kind of activity that creates time boundaries around something we enjoy doing anyway. It enhances the experience of doing that thing, uh, watching movies, and it it allows us to to share in that joy uh, with others. and it allow, or it allows us to make something fun feel productive also, uh, which is my favorite kind of fun. This has been Deviate with Rolf Potts. More about everything that was just mentioned, including a sheet sheet for creating your own shelter-in-place film festival, can be found in the show notes at rolfpotts.com slash deviate. And as always, you can contact me with insights or questions at deviate at rolfpotts.com. This episode was produced by Justin Glow. Cedar Van Tassel does the theme music. Thanks for listening, and I hope you tune in for future episodes of Deviate with Rolf Potts. Mm-hmm.